Welcome back to Refocused with Lindsay Gensel. What you're listening to today, it's a little bit different than the podcast episodes we've shared with you before. This episode, This Person's Story, is a part of Refocus Together, a special series the team at ADHD Online and I have been working on for ADHD Awareness Month. Every day throughout the month of October, we'll be sharing a different person's ADHD story, which is fitting because the theme for ADHD Awareness Month this year is understanding a shared experience. And I can't think of a better way to really get a sense of that shared experience than by telling a different story every single day. And to be clear, yes, that's 31 stories in 31 days. My name is Lindsay Gensel, and along with the team at ADHD Online, I'm so excited to present Refocus Together, a collection of stories aimed at raising awareness on just how complex ADHD is and the different ways it shows up in people's lives. When we share stories, it's easier to find the perspective, ideas, and tips that help us live our best lives. I'm interviewing people with varying backgrounds, diagnoses, experiences, and perspectives. We'll hear from working parents, advocates, engineers, writers, PhD candidates, and more to learn that while we may be different, we are all united by our own ADHD journeys. This special project is very near and dear to my heart, and although talking to 31 different people has been a lot of talking, I am so grateful for each person who shared their story with me, and I cannot wait for you to meet my guests and get to know them. Be sure to subscribe to Refocus with Lindsay Gensel so that you don't miss a single story this month. And with that, let's get on to today's episode. As a kid, Linda Yee struggled with a busy mind, often forgetting what she was doing while trying to get something done. Grown-ups would constantly point out her mistakes, both at home and at school, and it felt like no matter how much Linda studied, whatever she learned didn't linger long, and she began to see her brain as an enemy. To Linda, it often felt like she needed double or even triple the amount of effort in her work to meet the standards of those around her. She graduated from college and convinced herself that she was most adept at fooling everyone into thinking she was a functioning adult. Each time she changed her job, her self-doubt became more intense until the day she found a book about ADHD in a clearance bin at a local bookstore. She sought out an assessment and then treatment, and now shares her experience with the world through a weekly webcomic called Panda Cub Stories that combines Chinese culture, Sichuan cooking, and living with ADHD. I am so excited to welcome Linda Yi to Refocus Together. I am so excited to have you join us, Linda. I also love food. I love hosting. I love all the stuff that comes along with it. And I can very much see now as I'm diagnosed with ADHD, how that was very exciting to me because you can always be doing something new. And so I'm so excited to dive into this conversation with you and just thank you so much for joining us on Refocus Together. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Lindsay. Let's go back to before you were diagnosed and Mm -hmm. kind of what were some of the things that were going on or things that you noticed that pushed you to seek out a diagnosis? 
similar to you, I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult. So for me, I sought out a diagnosis in my mid-20s and I was officially diagnosed when I was 25. But I think like growing up, I was aware of ADHD or I guess like ADD at the time, but it was just never something that I really identified with. The typical, I guess, like image we have of an ADHD kid is like bouncing off the walls, usually a boy, right? Like being sent out of the classroom for being disruptive. And that was not me at all. Like I was a very quiet kid. I would always be like reading a book under the desk or like doodling. So if I ever got in trouble, it was for something like that. And then I would get this like immense amount of shame for being told off by the teacher because like I was a good kid. I did really well in school growing up. And so I never really had problems. But I think looking back, it was like I was very good at following structures that I was given. So like any time that I veered off a structure is where things started to fall apart a little bit. So I think similar to you, things started to get really difficult in college when, you know, a lot of that responsibility is up to you. And this might be a little bit of a tangent, but I sort of realized that there were a lot of things that I veered away from, like very strongly. And at the time, I was like, I'm just not passionate about this. Like, I don't like STEM. I don't like math. I don't like X, Y, and Z. And I think that's definitely a part of it. Plus, you have the whole like Asian parent wanting you to be a doctor or engineer. And I was like, no, I want to be an artist. But I think looking back, there was a lot of self-doubt and also just knowing without words that I couldn't hold things in my brain, especially, I think, for a lot of less creative, quote unquote, disciplines there is a certain threshold that you have to make. And just knowing myself, I think I didn't even try because I was like, I know I would fail. Or that's what I told myself. Basically, kind of my diagnosis came because I was living at home again when I was 24. By that time, I'd already gone through 4.5 jobs. A lot of my peers that I went to university with were moving very swimmingly along in their careers. And that's my perception, right? Everyone has their struggles, but it kind of just felt like I was floundering. And my latest thing was I had jumped into creating this startup, like co-founding a startup with a friend I met when I was working in Beijing. And it was not an industry. It was a tech startup. I'm not a tech person. And I think we had a really good idea. But then being put in a co-founder role, I struggled a lot with creating structure out of nothing, right? Like even in my other jobs, there were tasks I was assigned and then I would problem solve my way out of it. But when it was completely tabla rasa, I just remember like sitting in my dad's upstairs office, just zoning out. Anyway, so that startup failed. I think like I was just sort of at a point where I was, I don't know, is this a quarter life crisis? Like, what am I doing with my life? And honestly, the thing that really prompted me to get diagnosed was completely random. I was at a bookstore and there was a clearance bin and there was a book that I picked up because the cover was purple and green, which were my two favorite colors. And then that book happened to be Fast Minds, How to Thrive if you have ADHD or think you might have it. And I just sat down and sort of flipped through the book in one sitting and I was like, oh my gosh. And I probably did a third of the assessments before getting distracted because I don't like filling out forms. But I finally called and made an appointment. I just got chills because 
what a moment of like the universe coming together. And like you said, you were attracted to it because it was your favorite colors and you picked it up. It's in the clearance bin. Wow. I just, that to me is like, it's meant to be. It was meant to be for you to have that moment. So you go in for the assessment. What do you remember from that time? The assessment, I just remember it being a series of I think first I filled out a questionnaire and then my psychiatrist or the person who saw me went through a verbal assessment as well. You know, in the past two weeks, how often have you had little to no interest in X, Y, and Z? And I just remember doing a every day, every day, almost every day. And I was like, wow. (laughs) So I think it was a simultaneous, I felt relieved. But then I also felt almost sad in a way. And I guess talking to other people too, I feel like in terms of being diagnosed as an adult, I did get diagnosed relatively early as an adult. Afterwards, basically, they told me they probably thought I have ADHD combined with anxiety and depression, which I think those comorbidities are very common. And I started out on medication basically the week after. And it was very... I don't know, like life changing. I guess it was life changing. So I'm on a different dosage now, but I just remember I had been working on this and I remember it very clearly. I didn't get it. It was like a National Geographic fellowship for like visual storytelling. And it was a week after I had started medication and I was just sitting there and I wrote the essay in one sitting or at least the draft in one sitting. I was like, Like, you know, like, holy shit, like people do this. That would have taken me like two weeks. I would get started. And after like half a sentence, I'd be like, no, I have to do extra research. It was one of those things where it felt like, I don't know, like I had a little bit more control of my brain or I I could see like when I was having an impulse to do something and I was like, oh, no, wait, let's just finish writing this sentence first. Yeah, it was just kind of like a moment where I was like, what? (laughs) I've definitely had a few of those in the last year and a half. And it is, you're like, oh, this is what it is like. I get that. What else have you done besides taking medication? You know, you dove pretty quickly into a diagnosis after finding this book and started on medication the week after. And you've mentioned that it has changed, which is very common. What else have you done in life? that you consider a part of your treatment plan. And I say treatment plan because that can be things like exercise and better sleep habits. It doesn't necessarily mean something that is prescribed by a doctor. I am a very strong advocate of not just being medicated because I just personally also saw, you know, after you get used to your medication, sometimes effects taper off a little bit or if I fell into habits that weren't serving me, that medication only takes you so far. So I've pretty consistently seen either a therapist or a counselor for at least twice a month since getting diagnosed. But I would say actually this past year, I've been seeking out a lot more support in terms of like I hired an ADHD coach who was very helpful. So her method was instead of long sessions, even when I was seeing my therapist, we did a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy, which is very helpful. And I still have kind of a folder of things that I go back to that she gave me. But I think sometimes it was we would talk for like an hour and a half. And then I was like, that was a really productive conversation. And then afterwards, I'm like, 
what are we talking about? And I'll like, I'll open my phone and scroll on Instagram or something. And so for my ADHD coach, we'll basically just do a 15 minute touch base phone call every day. And then we'll sort of outline the main priorities of the day. And then I also have a business coach because like I run my own business and it's very similar. Someone for me to sound ideas off of, but then that extra support in either prioritizing things for me or helping me prioritize things. Prioritizing is one of the biggest challenges that I have because for us, it's like everything is now. And then you have a lot of great ideas, but then that sort of comes back and like bites you in the butt when you feel like you need to do 30 things all this minute. Very much can relate to all of that. And I'm wondering if you could dive in a little bit more on the connections that you see between the business coach and the ADHD coach, because I think that that is something that is so fascinating because in a sense, we are all kind of like the CEO of our own lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we weren't given the skills to get there. We're just thrown into it. We have a team of really excited creatives, but it's a little hard to get everyone on the same page in our brains. The way I sort of see my business coach and my ADHD coach, it's almost like in terms of my business coach, she's much more helpful in terms of parsing out ideas and then helping me figure out which of these ideas do I really want to do for my business in the next quarter, in the next year, right? And then I think what is really helpful with my business coach is she's pretty clear on what the core mission is. So I think like for me, I seek to help whether it be my readers or my students enrich their lives with laughter, more connection to Chinese culture and food is a big part of it, right? And then Sometimes I lose track of that when a new shining idea comes and I'm like, maybe I'll start a TikTok and do this, right? And so for my business coach, she's very helpful in going like, that is a great idea. How do we bring it back to what you're doing right now? And then what are some strategic ways that we can pursue this idea while still having a sustainable business? So I think for me, often I go with what's new or what's exciting. But from a business perspective, I also need to be financially sustainable, right? Okay, we have this idea. How do we build out the systems behind it that actually make sure that I'm able to pay my assistant and pay my rent? For my ADHD coach, everything that makes running a business possible. So like kind of going back to working on like sleep hygiene and more consistent and healthy behaviors. And honestly, one of the biggest things that I've been working on with her is realizing that rest is also productive. So I have these things like, especially in hyper-focus where I'll just work for like 20 hours straight. And I'm like, if I stop doing this, I'll forget how to do it. So might as well drink two Red Bulls and just like push through, right? Having her support has really helped me pull back from that a little bit. So it's not all or nothing. Sometimes it still feels hard. And I'm sure you struggle with this as well, where I think the fear is once you stop, all momentum is lost, and then you won't be able to do it again. And I think I've been working on just trusting myself more and then knowing that, yeah, sure, like it's not that I'm ignoring that that's a problem that I struggle with, but here are some other strategies to help with that. Including having someone else be like, 
remember how excited you were about this? And then like, this is the thing that we said we were going to do. Just like having someone else on the other end of the tennis court, like batting a ball back to you, I think just in and of itself is really helpful. It's incredibly helpful. That's Mm -hmm. a great picture to paint the tennis game because I think sometimes we're so in our heads and we get, like you said, distracted by things like starting a TikTok. And I think it's so important in those moments to have somebody remind us what our end game is. And Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about this because I feel like we're probably very similar in this. So I have a lot Mm -hmm. of friends who went into jobs that are very structured in how you get into them. So accountants Mm -hmm. or teachers, like there's a path you take, you do this and then you do that. And then you get into a job and then there's certain promotions that come and there's a path. They follow a very specific path and there is no path when you're an entrepreneur in whatever capacity you want to describe that, you know, like I don't consider myself an entrepreneur, but I'm building something on my own, which is in a sense an entrepreneur. It's just not a traditional business. And I think it's sometimes really hard because there is no end game. The end game just keeps getting bigger. We just keep moving the finish line. So how do you manage some of those feelings when you're constantly upping the ante, so to speak? A big, part of it is also realizing that it's not that I have to wait until I've achieved X to feel like I deserve to rest or I deserve to live my life. October is also like a very busy month for me as well as ADHD Awareness Month. So I have like all of these ideas, but I'm actually hosting a dinner party slash birthday party. P-A-W paw tea for my two cats because their birthdays are around October. All the dinner guests, I'm like, um, if you're feeling gift inclined, please bring a treat or a toy for the kitties or wine or both if you're feeling very generous. But looking back, I was like, oh, well, I have all of these things to do. Like, do I really have time to set aside like a couple of hours to like host and cook? But then I realized that everything I'm doing for my business as well is so that I can like live the kind of life that I want to live. And a lot of, especially in Panda Cup Diner, which is my cooking membership and club, a lot of what I also help my students do is kind of separate the act of having to feed ourselves, which is something that's very difficult, I think, for ADHDers with executive dysfunction in the kitchen versus having food be a really joyful part of your life. I used to just have the goal off into the future. And I would work as hard as I could to try and get there, like whether it was sacrificing sleep or being like, don't talk to me, right? Like, I don't have time to hang out. I need to do this. And then usually like what happened would be like, I hit that benchmark and then I'm really exhausted and I'm burnt out and I end up binging Netflix for like two and a half days. (laughs) And then, like you said, right, once you accomplish that goal, it's almost like that's over. And then the next goal just appears. And it was just a very kind of exhausting way to live. And I think now I need to pick a better word other than goal, but like kind of the underlying thing that I'm also trying to keep in mind is I want to build from a place of rest and fun and self-care as well. That's how I'm trying to manage it thus far. I still have like, I think, issues with productivity. I'm very screen addicted, which is also helped hard because for us, I feel like so much of our work is online. So I'm like working on also being more efficient with the time that I have. 
I want to ask something. I'm curious because mm-hmm. I have the similar scenario of pushing myself to outrageous limits and then mm-hmm. crashing. And like the, like you said, the binge of just yeah. two days of nothing or watching Netflix. And for me, there's always a point of heavy shame that comes in and really? feeling really bad about myself, even mm-hmm. though rest is so necessary. Probably one of the worst feelings is being in the state of you're constantly numbing yourself, but you're still aware enough in your mind that's like, this isn't serving me or this whisper of you should be doing X, Y, and Z. Sometimes I could probably be better served if I just slept for 12 hours, but instead I'm like up almost like revenge procrastination being like, these are all the things I didn't get to do because I was working. And so let me do these instead. And then the more you do it, the deeper you dig yourself a hole. I'm actually like working on a comic about this right now where sometimes like you feel so empty or burnt out that you do everything you can to like fill yourself up. And often that's with food, right? It's with like TV shows. It's with, for me, reading webtoons. But then you stuff like all of this stuff in But then it's a reaction. It's not something that's actually filling you up. And then you're left feeling like worse than ever. And then finding a way to both forgive yourself for that and then also coming out of it. While we're on the topic of shame, you mentioned something that I actually don't know I've heard anyone mention in the series of interviews that I've been doing for Refocus Together, which is the shame of getting yelled at by teachers in Mm. school. Man, the stuff that I held on to, and I have a friend who teaches second grade, and I will tell her some of the things that I would get in trouble for. And she's like, that's it. That's what you're holding on to. She's like, I was a kid, like you were a kid. And so I would love it if you would kind of touch on some of that stuff. Because I think when we look at ADHD and breaking down the stereotype that you mentioned, this boy who is all over the place and gets sent out into the hallway there's a reason we were all missed. A lot of the times was because we were not talking about what was going on in our heads. I was from the very beginning, like a people pleasing kid, right? And I think probably a lot of that has to do with now I know about rejection sensitivity, dysphoria, any sort of criticism, I would take very, very to heart. Another part of it is also, so I was born in China and then my family moved to the States right as I turned four. So there was also that element of feeling like I didn't quite belong both culturally and I picked up the language pretty quickly, but also I grasped concepts quite quickly. Like I was the gifted kid or whatever, like one of the gifted and talented kids like growing up. And so it was sort of this intense feeling of relief and happiness when I was praised or when, you know, someone was like, oh, your English is excellent, (laughs) right? Like, I mean, as a kid. And then that was like this feeling of I am accepted, I am safe versus especially like an adult or something expressive disappointment or like, oh, you could have done better. I remember like the biggest amount of shame was praised for being a very good reader. And then once I have my book in the little cubby well you remember the elementary desk like there were little cubbies and then I have hidden a little book in there and I was like reading and I think my second grade teacher I don't even remember what she said but in my memory it was the worst thing ever where I was discovered and I had you know 
broken this image that I was the good student, the good girl. And I just remember like, I don't think I ever read under my desk for the rest of the year after that. And I think that's also one of the reasons why a lot of girls are missed as well, because we didn't need a teacher like yelling at us and like putting us out of the room. We did that to ourselves, right? When you said uh, we didn't need a teacher to put us out of the room, we did that to ourselves. I just like physically felt that. Like I physically mm -hmm. felt that because that is exactly what we were doing. And I think we were harder on ourselves than any teacher could have ever been. I'm curious about the cartoons and like the creative side. You mentioned, you know, going to college and the pressure to go into, you know, something science related and kind of rebelling against that because you wanted to be creative. And so I'm curious when you look yeah. at how that all started, this love of creating, creating mm -hmm. art and being a storyteller. When did that start? And, and, you know, like, how do you connect that to some of the things you now know about your ADHD? I feel like it started from as early as I could remember. So like, I've always loved drawing and I've always loved stories. And a lot of it also I carried with me in terms of my immigrant like journey as well, right? Like moving from China to the States as a very young child. I remember like starting to draw as soon as I could wrap my hands around like a stubby crayon. And I would always be listening to these audiobooks when I drew because like my parents would just give me these audio tapes of the Smurfs, but in Chinese, right? And I think that's still something that I've carried with me to today. So like I consume most of my reading via audio. And that's also why I love podcasts so much. But I've actually like thought about it a lot. There are elements of art that I really attached to for a number of different reasons. And I think one of the reasons was praise, which is something that I didn't really want to admit to myself until quite recently, where I was able to like recreate quite realistic representations of objects. I just remember in like elementary school, I was really good at drawing Pokemon. And that was like a big pride point of mine. And then this like boy moved in who could draw a better Pikachu than me. And then I was like really competitive. That was part of it. But I think like also drawing, especially very detailed things like manga or a still life or a watercolor that was very intricate. That was very much my style in grade school all the way up through high school. And looking back, it was a very meditative, but also a process that required a lot of hyperfocus. And it was very calming. And I think like while I was doing it, it felt like my mind felt still in a way that it didn't usually. It was like a sense of flow that I achieved before knowing about flow. And then I think like for the comics, that's something that I used to just doodle on the side of my notebooks, or I would just draw a little panda going like, you do it, like zayo. Zayo uh, is literally add oil. It's a Chinese expression for like, no, rah, rah, sismimba, like you can do it. And it's actually just something that I never really thought I would pursue artistically but it was something like I kind of did on the side and I would write email updates to friends and family. And then I would always like include a little cartoon or whatnot. But actually like now that I am more into it, I've realized that kind of this blend between images, cartoons and words is really the type of storytelling that fits me the most. And I think that actually like started to come into being because I was working on actually this novel 
it was like a retelling of a Chinese myth. And what happened is I'd be writing and then I would run into writer's block and then I would just switch to like drawing instead. And like that process was very natural and they fed into each other. So I think that's sort of how I stumbled my way into comics and illustration. And now with the comic series I have, it's called Panda Cub Stories. And the main character is me. It's like a little pudgy panda and a hedgehog and then my two cats. And then John, who appears as a raccoon. That's a long story. It's kind of like become, in a way, like the panda and the hedgehog and all the characters have taken on their own personalities. And what I realized was the panda and the hedgie, in the beginning, they were all me. All the actions, all like the tone was exactly the same. And now they've sort of diverged and Panda is the more like impulsive, hyperactive manifestation of myself. And then like Hedgy is very like prickly and like anxious, <laughs> closes into a little spiky ball, like if she's rejected or like something. And so it's actually been really fun playing with the characters and then writing about things that go on in my life. And in a way, it's allowed me to be much kinder to myself. Because like, you know, like we've all done the talking to ourselves, like, are you such an idiot? But like, when you're saying that to a cute, fuzzy panda, I'm like, I should probably not be doing that. <laughs> you know, like, I want to yell less at myself if I'm a, like a cute, fuzzy critter. That's such an amazing outlet to have. And I love that it's kind of become a way for you to express these different sides of you. Because mm -hmm. I very much relate to almost having different personalities, the emotional dysregulation that comes with ADHD and not knowing how to handle it. And I always thought for the longest time that I wasn't a morning person because I was grouchy mm -hmm. in the morning. And I was grouchy because people were talking at me. Mm -hmm. You know, it was mm -hmm. like, there was no wake up time. It was like, you woke up and it was, um, you had to be on immediately. And I've come to realize like, no, it's not that I'm not a morning person. It's that I need time to wake up. So it's just, it's really interesting to me that you get this outlet. That's awesome. And I remember I was like talking to Katie Weber. She hosts another podcast called Women in ADHD. And she was like, oh, like I do that, but it's very much like there's a child version of myself living inside of me that helps me remember to be more kind, right? You would never talk to your best friend or a child the way that you talk to yourself. And that's a perfect segue because I use the example, like if we were out to dinner, and we ordered food and your food came and it was wrong, I would be more likely to get your food fixed than I would if it were my own because, man, heaven forbid we ever like stand up for ourselves because there's just a lot of negative connotation that comes with that. And so I'd like to segue that into yeah. food because you have these two kind of life paths that you're on and food is a big part of it. So Tell me how that got started and kind of how that fits into your life as someone who has ADHD and someone who's a creator and, and someone who is also, you know, very much likes kind of taking care of people. I feel like the story of my life is I was doing something and then something like happened on the side. And then now it's like one of my main things. So for food, it actually started over the pandemic. I'm Sichuanese American. I don't know if you've had like Sichuan cuisine, but it's like known for, you know, the spicy mala flavor profile. And I actually like started this journey of relearning how to make my family's cuisine over the pandemic for a number of reasons. But basically, it got to a point where I was like, I know how to make these dishes. I loved cooking with my family growing up. It was one of the activities 
that really bonded us together in a family that didn't necessarily like deep personal conversations going on because that was just not part of the family culture. And there was also a lot of generation divide and hierarchy. But when it came to food, it was like just this very warm communal thing that all of us loved. My dad and I could be butting heads over like my college major, but we would still really love cooking together and eating together. And so basically like there was all of this, but then I found myself, you know, living alone in New York. And despite knowing how to make my favorite foods, I would still be spending like hundreds of dollars on takeout every week or I would be eating like cold cereal for a dinner because my like pantry was empty. I had forgotten to go grocery shopping and there was just this big divide. And at this point, like I had already been diagnosed with ADHD, like I've been living with it for five years. I think I was still mentally telling myself the story that, you know, it was because I was lazy is because I was just a very, you know, messy person who can get this part of her life together. And basically like that changed partly because I made it a project to learn how to document basically how to make my family's dishes. And it started out almost as like a part oral history project. And then I was drawing about it in my comic, which had already established pretty solid readership at that point. And then I started getting a lot of feedback from the Panic Cub stories like readers. And they're like, oh, can you talk a little bit more about how your family makes this chili oil? Can you do like a short video tutorial? And that is really what kickstarted my journey of sharing this more publicly. And kind of long story short, this has now become like a really big leg of my business because what I realized was as an ADHDer, sometimes the things that we struggle with can also be our strengths. I feel like I'm a little bit hesitant to be like, ADHD is a superpower because there are also a lot of things that we struggle with, right? It's not like, oh, it's great. So for example, like one thing that I used to feel very embarrassed about was there would be a very simple recipe that I knew how to make, but sometimes I would just forget steps. And so I would always have these like little cheat sheets I would write for myself. And I'm like, I can't believe I need this. My mom doesn't need it. But then I realized that sometimes I need to teach myself how to do something as if I'm the beginner. But because of that, that actually makes me a very effective instructor for people who are like complete beginners to citron food or complete beginners to cooking. And then that has sort of kind of impacted my teaching style as a cooking instructor. A lot of what I share now in terms of me as a cooking instructor is the basics of citron food, because I am citronese, but then also like here are ways to make cooking joyful as someone who is neurodivergent or someone who's very busy and doesn't have hours and hours to spend in the kitchen. I actually like I just wrote my first article for today.com um, that was published like a couple of days ago about this. So it's like five techniques I've learned as an ADHD are in the kitchen. And I got to illustrate it, which is really exciting. <laughs> Congratulations. That's so exciting. Yeah. I want to ask you, when you look at life right now, with everything you know about your brain and some of the things that maybe were struggles in the past and the things that you're working on mm -hmm. with both your ADHD coach and your business coach, where do you see yourself thriving? Two main areas of thriving that I think we already kind of touched on during our conversation. The first is being able to experience everything as a beginner 
And because like, I really do love learning and teaching. And so I think the way I learn, especially as an ADHD, is I take very detailed notes and create very specific processes to be able to hang on to the things that I've learned. Because I think that's one of the biggest things that I struggle with. I feel like I've learned something. And then like two weeks later, it's like, nope, all of that is just like gone from my brain. And so while I used to see that as just this big weakness that I would have to hide from my colleagues when I was working in a traditional job, I would have all of these secret, you know, workflows that like I would have to refer back to. I realized that's actually like a really powerful asset. And it's made, for example, training my assistant that I hired for my business a lot easier because I already had these detailed workflows ready. And then in terms of teaching recipes or sharing things with my audience, the same thing, right? This kind of like almost impulse to both hyper-focus and also hyper-document, but then also like translate those things into something that is entertaining visually. And so that's how actually like a lot of the drafts of my comics come. And I guess the second strength is related to that. A lot of my humor and random like visual garnishes come from the fact that a lot of ideas are coming all at once. And sometimes it's like when we're talking right now, it's like all of these butterflies come flitting into my brain. And then the sentence that I'm saying doesn't make sense anymore. But like, when you're drafting a comic that actually results in a punchline or like an idea that blossoms into something very interesting visually. I want to wrap up by asking you, when we look at ADHD, and what the general public knows, Mm -hmm. keeping in mind that it's ADHD Awareness Month and the whole goal of all of these interviews is to just highlight how complex it is. What stands out for you as something you wish people either understood better or something that people started to understand? Probably the main thing is understanding that ADHD means we struggle a lot with executive function and It's not a moral failing, right? It's not like, I forgot your name because I don't care about you. (laughs) Because like, I might remember the shirt you were wearing the first time that we met, but like, it's like that didn't stick in my mind. And a lot of these things, I feel like people who either love someone who might have ADHD or someone who has ADHD themselves, I think often there is this story that we either tell ourselves or tell about the people we know of, you know, they're just not trying hard enough, or they don't care, or like, if it was really important to them, it would remember. So kind of like that. But then also on the flip side, knowing there are ways to help them or help yourself. I think it's like one of those things where ADHD often is an explanation for a lot of things, but it's not necessarily an excuse. There are things that for example, like are hurting or disrupting your life. I think it's very helpful and important to know the reason behind it. But then it doesn't mean that we just need to be like, oh, this is my life now, right? And sometimes that is the case. But there are also like strategies that can help you out of it. And of those is like, you don't need to do it alone. That's 
Very great advice. I'm laughing at the I won't remember your name comment because I have found that I don't remember a lot of people's names, but I can remember every other detail about you. Right. When I run into people that I haven't seen in a long time, I just get the embarrassment out of the way and reintroduce myself right away because I don't want to assume that they remember my name. And it also then just clears the air. Like, hey, we know one another and we haven't seen each other in a while. And brains are really hard and complicated. And I'm not wasting energy diving through all those boxes to get there. So I'm just going to be the one who makes it awkward to begin with. Love it. (laughs) Well, Linda, this was such a great conversation. I could keep going. I have so many other things I would love to ask, but I'm going to leave it there for now. I would love to continue the conversation. I would love to get you on Refocus with Lindsay Gensel to talk about food and how you can make being in the kitchen enjoyable and easier for people with ADHD. So let's have a conversation about getting that on the calendar. But in the meantime, thank you for sharing your story with us. I I super enjoyed our conversation. Thank you again for having me on. I had so much fun chatting with Linda Yee about ADHD and food, and I've made it my goal to get invited to next year's Kitty Cat birthday party. To find all the awesome stuff Linda is creating and sharing, check out pandacubstories.com. I've also shared the link in the show notes for today's episode. There are so many people to thank for making Refocus Together happen. The entire team at ADHD Online, Zach Booker, Dr. Randall Dutler, Tim Gutwald, Keith Brophy, my teammates Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruett, Claudia Gotti, Melanie Mile, Paul Owen, Kirsten Pip, Sissy Yee, Trisha Merchandani, Lauren Radley, Corey Kearney and Mason Nelly and the team at Dexia, Hector and Kenneth and the team at Snack Media, Cameron Sterling and Candace Lefke, Camilla Eden, Lauren Terry, Sarah Galbard, Phil Rodeman, Jake Beaver, and Sarah Platinitis. Our theme music was created by Louis Inglis, a songwriter and composer based in Perth, Australia, who was diagnosed with ADHD in 2020 at the age of 39. To find out more about Refocus Together or to share your story with me, head over to ADHDonline.com and check out the ADHD Awareness Month page, which highlights this project as well as each day's episode after they've been released. You can also find out more by following along on social at Lindsay Gensel and at RefocusPod. Pod.